Gene, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you all today. Um, I, I want to just uh, echo what Angie was saying. It, it is a, a pleasure and a joy to be able to serve our community, serve our neighborhood, and uh, our, our teachers. And uh, we've been we've been given influence in in our area, in our community, and and I want to steward that well. And so I, I really would encourage all of you to be praying for uh, the. Uh, teachers, staff, um, families of, of Riley and Monroe, and, and stick around afterward. Um, but your, your giving helps that. Um, it, it helps us have influence right here in our community, and thank you guys for that. So we are in week two of our series that we are calling Hidden Figures, and uh, we're taking a look at some women that we may not know all that, all that well in, in Scripture, taking a look at some of the, the women behind the, the missions, behind the stories that we may know, we may be somewhat familiar with, and, uh, and really talking about that, that women play a, a huge part, a huge role in the story that God is writing, both in Scripture but also right now today. And, and we're trying to highlight some of those in this series. And last week we talked about Mary Magdalene and, and just what uh, the, the influence that she had, the role she had in being a disciple of Jesus, being there at Jesus' crucifixion, being the very first one at Jesus' uh, resurrection, and, and being the first one to be able to share the good news that, that, that Jesus is alive, he has, he has risen. And I'm so grateful uh, to be able to share this with you today. We're going to be talking about another woman that we read about in Scripture and just God's incredible plan for her life. Now, but before we get into uh, just the text today, I, I want to just kind of ask, like, have you ever ended up somewhere and you're not really sure how you got there? Like, I, like that, that's happened to me. Like, you, you ended up somewhere and say, all right, I don't even know how I got here, much less how to get back to where I was. And, and I had a, a situation kind of like this uh, a number of years ago where you're trying to find your way back. And, and I was, a friend of mine and I, we were taking a class down in Indianapolis, and so we had to stay at a hotel overnight. And so I, I, this is back when Priceline had their, like, name your own price thing, and so, like, I named the price I wanted, and we got accepted, and we we're like, all right, sweet, yes. And it was kind of over towards the airport. So we drove down there, put the address in, in, the, in our phone in Google Maps, drove down there, and we're driving down, you know, 465, heading down uh, 70 there a bit. And and I was thinking, man, this is a little further than I thought it was going to be. But I thought, all right, well, Google Maps knows what it's doing. It's taking me to the right place. And so we drive a little bit farther. And I'm thinking, man, I, maybe, maybe there's like a, a development that's coming up. And, and this is the hotel is going to be like in this development. Because I'm looking around thinking, there's nowhere around here that it looks like there's a, there's a hotel. All right, but I'm saying, all right, I'm, I'm trying to trust. Google knows what it's talking about. And so keep driving a little bit, and then all of a sudden we, we hear the GPS say, you've arrived at your destination. And this is where we are. We're, we're literally in, in a cornfield, and I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. And, and so, you know, I double-check, and sure enough, I put the right address in. I got my friend's phone. We put the address in his phone, and immediately it says, you've arrived. And we're like, what are you talking about? We've, we've arrived. And so, like, we're trying to figure out, I have no idea where we even are. Like, I'm not familiar with Indianapolis, I, nothing like that. And so I end up getting on the phone, I call the hotel, and I said, hey, we're, we're supposed to be staying at, at your hotel tonight, but, and, and before I can even finish the sentence, the lady says to me, your GPS took you to a cornfield, didn't it? And, and, 
And, and I said, yes. And she was like, oh, you wouldn't believe this. this. We get multiple calls like this every day. And so I, I don't know if it was an issue with Google Maps or, or what it was, but we had no idea how we got there. Like we, we ended up in a place that we had not anticipated. We didn't think about it. And so we kind of needed her help in helping us find where the hotel was. And, and it was great. But the, the woman we're going to be talking about in our series today, she didn't get lost trying to find a hotel, but life kind of took her in some surprising directions, some things that maybe she had not been anticipating. There, there were some twists and some turns in her story and some struggles that she had that were, that were very significant. And ultimately, God ended up redeeming her, redeeming her story, and, and God ended up using her in some very powerful and some very meaningful ways. Now, to, to kind of tell you where we're going to begin today, I've always thought the book of Ruth was misnamed. Like, I, I, like I'm not telling God what to do, and, and you know, I'm not going to go rewrite Bibles, but, but I always thought that the, the book of Ruth should actually be called the book of Naomi. And this is just my opinion, but because the, the, the book of Ruth, it, it begins with Naomi, it ends with, with Naomi, and really talks about her faith journey that she has along the way. And, and so uh, Naomi is who we're going to be focusing on this morning, and I pray that you're going to be encouraged by her story, but also the lessons that I see for us within her story, lessons that we can take and apply to, to our life today. And so we're introduced to her in the, in the first two verses of what should be called the book of Naomi. And, and so we're going to go to, reluctantly, we'll go to Ruth chapter 1, even though it should be the book of Naomi chapter 1. And it begins that in the days when the judges, when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Now I'm going to pause here for just one second. This is actually, this is the time of the judges. This is before Israel had a king and, and the judges were the ones ruling the land. And, and this really was a difficult time in the history of Israel. In fact, Judges chapter 17, verse 6 says that in those days, talking about the days when the judges were ruling, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And think of living in a society like that, where everybody does what is right in, in their own eyes. I mean, things would be very chaotic and, and, and very troublesome. And, and not only was this a difficult time politically, but we read here that there's a famine going on in, in the land. Not sure if this was from a severe drought or if this was that insects had destroyed the, the crops. But, but, but one way or another, we find out that there's a famine going on. And, and where we're talking about today is actually in, in Bethlehem. I find it very ironic that the, the town of Bethlehem, the, the name literally means house of bread. And there's a famine going on right now in the house of bread. But for one reason or another, things are not going well, and then we're, we continue here. And so, a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. So this, this is the first we hear about Naomi in, in, in Scripture. And, and her and her husband, Elimelech, they make a decision that, all right, things are not going well right now for us in Bethlehem, so we're going to go move to Moab for a period of time because we hear things are going a little bit better over there. Now, now, today that might not sound like all that big a deal to us. 
if, if maybe the economy tanked here and, and things were not going good in Indiana, but hey, we heard that in North Carolina, the economy was, was, was going well, people were hiring, things were going, like we wouldn't really think much of it, of saying, all right, well, I'm going to go where the jobs are and, and go and move to North Carolina. We, we wouldn't think much about that. But, but this was something altogether different. Because Moab was the sworn enemies of the country of Israel. In fact, Moab had fought with, invaded, and ruled over Israel off and on for generations. This was, this was a, 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 these were Israel's enemies that they were going, and going to go live amongst them. And in, in some ways, like th this would be like during the Great Depression in the 1930s, where things are really bad here in America, and we say, you know what? Maybe we'll go move to Italy, or maybe we'll go move to Germany. Like, I hear Mussolini's doing some really good things. Let's go move there. I mean, in some ways, that's kind of what it would be. I mean, it, it, things were not good in Moab. These were a people that, that uh, practiced human sacrifice. I mean, it was, a, it was a very dangerous thing that they were leaving God's people, God's place, God's country, and going to Moab. But that's what they decided to do. And, and the first kind of point, the first thing I see from Naomi's life that I think could be helpful to us today is that when we're in trouble, don't run to the enemy. When, when you're in trouble, don't run to the enemy. Now, this might sound very basic. It might sound very elementary. But it's something that is all too common for so many of us, that when we face trouble, when we face some kind of struggle of, of one kind or another, there's a very real temptation to run to the enemy. Maybe I'm, I'm stressed out at work, and I hit the bar, or I hit the club, or I hit the bottle, or, or maybe I feel unappreciated in my marriage, and so I look online, or I look somewhere outside my marriage. Like, like there's oftentimes where we're facing struggles, and we end up running to the enemy. We end up running in a, in a wrong direction. Because, but running from our problems never works. Ever. Running from our problems never works because we all know this. We've all experienced this at one time or another that when you try to run away from your problems, more often than not, you end up taking your problems along with you. Whether it's at, at a new job, at a new relationship, maybe you got a new credit card. Like if you had problems beforehand, just switching the scenery doesn't take care of the problem in and of itself. Running away from our problems doesn't work. And, and this running away from Beth Bethlehem to Moab was just the beginning of Naomi's problems. So they, they left God's country, they left Bethlehem, went to Moab, and then things only got worse from there. That we're not, we're not as we read the next couple of verses, I'm not going to go through them with us right now, but we read that while they're in Moab, Naomi's husband Elimelech dies. He passes away, so he moves his family, uproots his family, moves them to Moab, moves them to a foreign country filled with enemies, and then Elimelech dies. And we're, we're not told the circumstances of his death, but he dies, dies while they're far from home and leaves Naomi with their two, their two kids, their two sons. But that's not all. Shortly after this, her sons Malon and Kilion, they end up falling in love and marrying two Moabite women one named Ruth and one named Orpah. Now, again, this might not seem like a very big deal to us, but it, back in, in this time, this was a significant deal. This would have brought tremendous shame upon Naomi, upon the entire family, because Jews were forbidden to marry Gentile women. 
they were forbidden to do so. And, and, and like I said, this would have brought, brought tremendous shame upon Naomi as well. So not only did she lose her husband, now she probably feels like, I'm losing my two sons as well. And it's just a short while later that that actually does happen. That not only does Elimelech die, her, her sons go marry Moabite women, and then we read that her two sons die. Malon and Kilion both die. And she just kind of keeps getting hit one after another after another. And now Naomi, she finds herself all alone. She's in a foreign land. She's in a, a hostile land far from home. Like, it's hard to imagine things getting much worse for Naomi in this moment. Like I mentioned to you last week that, that during this time, women were often seen as property. They could not own land. She couldn't, you know, buy, buy some land, buy some property, and try to farm it herself. Women could not go and, and open up a, a, a store or a shop, and so she didn't have that option either. In, in short, like, her, her options were pretty limited in this moment. She, there was one of just a few things she could do. She could try to find another husband to support her, which in her older age was, was probably unlikely, especially living in Moab. She, she could sell herself into slavery. She could become a prostitute or, or a beggar on the street. That was pretty much what Naomi had to look forward to. She did not have very many good options to choose from. And things, things looked about as bad as they could get for her, and, and it's about this time that Naomi hears just a tiny sliver of good news, just a, a tiny little crumb that she holds on to. And so in, in Ruth, which should be called the book of Naomi, chapter 1, verse 6, when, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. That Naomi, she gets word that the famine is over. The famine that was going on in Bethlehem at the time is over, and so she's like, oh, well, I have, I have nothing here. My, my husband's gone. My, my children are gone. I, I may as well go back home, and, and that's what she decides to do. Now, the, the great news for all of us in the room is that Naomi makes a decision here, and it's great news for, for all of us that no matter how far we've gone and no matter what we have done, we can always come home. We can always choose to come home. That, that's at the heart of, of this story. It's the heart at the, of the story of the prodigal son, that we can always come home. When, when, when things are at their worst, may, we've walked away from God. Maybe we've just, like, th things are messed. We can always come home. God, God will always welcome you back. We, as a church, will always welcome you back. We, we might not be able to erase the consequences from the decisions that, that have been made, but we can love you. We can, we can cry with you. We can pray with you. We can support you. We can be here for you to the best of our ability. God, God doesn't holler and scream at you for the choices that you make, but when you get to that point, you say, all right, I need to head home. God will always welcome you every single time with open arms, and thankfully, that's what Naomi decides to do. She decides, all right, there's nothing left for me here in Moab. I, I have nothing. I can do nothing. I, I'm going to go back home to Bethlehem. Now in this moment, remember, she's, she's still overcome with grief, with her husband, with, with Elimelech dying, and, and Malon and Kilion both dying. And, and right as she's getting ready to head back to Bethlehem, she has a conversation with her two daughters-in-law, with Ruth and Naomi. And so in 
chapter 1, starting in verse 8, says, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you, as you have shown me kindness. Or, excuse me, as, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Naomi realizes she's beyond childbearing years. Nobody would most likely want to marry her, but there's still hope for Ruth. There's still hope for, for Orpah. And so she encourages them, I want you to go back home. I want you to go try to find an, another husband. Stay here in Moab. I'm going to go back home. And then she kissed them goodbye. And they wept aloud and they said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said again, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait around until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Like, can you hear the, the anguish and the despair in, in her voice as she's talking with, with Ruth and with Orpah? Like, she, she feels like her time has passed, that God has, has cursed her for some reason. And, and it's in this moment that Naomi makes one of her greatest mistakes. That so, so often, and, and, and we've all done this, I've done this, I, I would venture to say everybody in this room has probably done it at one time or another, but when we're struggling... When Naomi's struggling, she isolated herself. She tries to send Ruth and Orpah away. Now let me tell you, like in, in these moments, in these moments when we're really struggling, when we're feeling that kind of despair, those are the times we need people around us more than ever. And so I want you to hear, like, when, when grief, despair, and depression come knocking, don't isolate yourself. When grief, despair, and depression come knocking, don't isolate yourself. How, how many times I've done this myself? How many times I've seen this in lives of, of people I love and people I care about? That when we're low and when we're struggling, that's precisely the time that we need other people. That, that, that's the, those are the moments that we need people in our lives. We need people to talk to, to pray with us, to correct our messed up thinking. Those, those are the moments that, that we need people who are just going to sit at the table and just be with us. And Naomi makes the mistake that, that I've made, that so many of us have made, where she tries to push help away. She tries to isolate herself. Don't, don't fall into that trap that Naomi did, but surround yourself with people that love you, people that care for you. Like, be willing to be honest, to be vulnerable. Be willing to ask for help, because there is no shame in that. Like, th this is a lesson I'm still learning, even right now. That there's not shame in that. We need one another. Not to isolate ourselves, not to push people away, but no, those are the moments we need to bring people in. We need people close by us. And as we continue this conversation between Naomi and her, and her daughters-in-law, in verse 14, it says, at, at this they wept aloud again, and then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Now, Ruth and Orpah, they each have different reactions to Naomi's offer. Ruth decides she's going to stay with Naomi. And Orpah takes her up on, on her offer and actually ends up heading home. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and judge Orpah at all for going home. Like, Naomi was insisting on it. 
She was just doing what Naomi told her to do. But I, I would like to think, like, if I'm seeing somebody struggling, if I see somebody who's hurting and mourning, I'm not going to leave them in their moment of, of grief. I'm actually going to stay there with them. But in the end, Orpah ends up leaving. She ends up going back home. And, and this brought something to mind as I, as I was reading about this. And it's that when people walk away from you, it's okay to let them walk. When, when people walk away from you, it's okay to let them walk. There's going to be people in your life that walk away from you for one reason or another. And we need to stop begging people to be a part of our lives when they have moved on. We need, we need to stop begging people to, to I, I, I want you, I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you. No, it's okay. If people walk away from you, it's okay to let them walk. Like, if, if they walked away from you, you don't have to keep on chasing them. You can let them know that you love them, but you don't have to keep begging them to be a part of your life. I, I heard T.D. Jake say one time that your destiny will never be tied to someone who has left you. And, and while we all wish that people in our lives would always be loyal, always be there for us, no matter what, when they choose to walk away, it's okay to let them walk. It is okay to do that. And, and perhaps at some point they'll come back, but we can't spend our lives chasing people. We can't spend our lives chasing after those who've decided they're, they're going to walk a different path than we are. Now to, now to give you a look at how messed up Naomi's thinking was, she encouraged Ruth to go home yet again. Like Orpah left, and, and again she tries to push Ruth away one more time. In the middle of her darkest moments, again, she tries to isolate herself. And in verse 15, Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. And it's in this moment that Ruth actually shares one of the, one of the most famous speeches in, in all of Scripture. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you will go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. She, see, she finally got to a point of saying, all right, I, I, I give up. I'm not going to push you away anymore. And, and it's such a beautiful moment right here between Ruth and Naomi. And, and Naomi, she gets a glimpse, she gets to view just how much her daughter-in-law loves and cares for her. Remember, Ruth is a, is a Moabite. She, she's, not, she's, not even, she's not even Jewish, and she's saying, I'm willing to leave everything I have to come with you and to stay with you. I mean, it, it truly is a beautiful moment. And, and even now, even, even when, when Naomi sees this interaction with Ruth, we get to see how, how dark her mind really is in this moment. And in chapter, chapter 1, verse 21, she, she just kind of laments here, and she says, I went away full. She's saying, when I left Bethlehem, I was full. I had my husband. I had my two sons. Like, things were, things were a struggle, but, but at least we had one another. When I left, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. She feels rejected by God. She feels abandoned. She feels alone. She, in, in a society that she's living in, she has no one to care for her. And very few means of actually being able to care 
for herself, other than hiring herself out as a, as a bondservant in a way. Like it, it's, it's a pretty dire situation that Naomi finds herself in as her and Ruth decide to head back to, to Bethlehem. Now, I'm, I'm not going to preach the, the whole book of, of Ruth, which should be called the book of Naomi, um, to you this morning, because that, that would be a whole series in, in and of itself. But I would encourage everybody this week to go and read the book of Ruth, which should be called the book of Naomi. Um, it, it's only four chapters long. It, it's short. But I, I really think you're going to get a, 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 an amazing view of God's plan and God's direction as, as you read through it. But, but what I'm going to do is I give you kind of the Cliff Notes version and see how God does an amazing thing in the lives of those who are involved in this story. Like when, 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 they, when Ruth and Naomi arrive back in, in Bethlehem, they pretty much have to beg for food. Now, thankfully, the famine is over. It's harvest time right now. They left in the middle of the famine, came back during harvest, and, and they pretty much have to beg for food. Now, in, in Jewish law, when you harvested your field, you were to leave the edges, you were to leave the corners of your field unharvested so that the poor, so that the disadvantaged could come and actually harvest some of the grain themselves. Like, it, 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 this was essentially ancient Israel's kind of method of welfare, helping care for the disadvantaged, where, they, where people were told, no, you have to leave some grain, you have to leave some of your crops in the field for the poor to be able to come and take themselves. And, and this, is, this was called gleaning. And so that's what Ruth and Naomi do. They, they begin to glean and, and, and take some of the, uh, the grain from a field from a man named Boaz. And, and as God would orchestrate this, Boaz was actually related to Naomi's late husband, Elimelech. They, they were related together. And I, again, I'm not going to go into all the details uh, of this, but Boaz had the opportunity to be what was called the kinsman's redeemer, for both Naomi and, and for Ruth. It, essentially because women could not own property, the property that belonged to Elimelech would have been passed down to his oldest son, who was married to Ruth. Now, he passed away, and they had no one to pass the, the land on to, to anybody, and so it was kind of held in limbo here. And, and to make a, a very long story show, short, Boaz agrees to buy the land that belonged to Naomi's dead husband and that had been passed on to Naomi's dead son. Boaz would buy the land, and not only that, he agrees to, to marry Ruth in the process. He agrees to marry Ruth, a foreigner, a Moabite, somebody who is an enemy to the people of Israel, and allow her to carry on the family name. But, but not only that, he also agrees to help take care of Naomi as well. Now, Naomi, a, a woman who life had dealt a terrible hand to, who had felt abandoned by God, who had blamed God for the things that happened in, in her life, who had lost her husband, lost her two sons. She had now been redeemed. She, she, was now, she, had, she had had everything stripped away from her, everything taken away from her. And now, through the, through the kindness and the love of Boaz, she was going to be taken care of in her old age. She was going to have somebody who was going to, to be there to redeem her. And, and, and really, the, the, it's, it's such a beautiful story. And if this was a movie, you know, you, we'd probably see Naomi sitting on her rocking chair on the porch, gazing out at the, at the sunset as the credits start to roll. But that's not even the end of the story. That, that is, as beautiful as this is, 
we find out there's actually more, that Boaz and Ruth, they get pregnant. And in Ruth chapter 4, which should be the book of Naomi chapter 4, some of Naomi's friends begin talking to her. And, and they say this in, in uh, verse 14. It says, The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not let you, left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life, sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given birth. Then Naomi took the child. She took her grandson in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. The, the book of Ruth, which should be the book of Naomi, ends with Naomi holding her grandson. Again, like I, I want you to catch this. When it seemed like everything had been taken from her, everything had been taken away. She lost her home, her husband, her sons. Everything had been taken away. God restored her, and she got to help raise her grandson. But if we can take a, a close look at verse 17, we see something truly amazing. That we see Naomi's grandson is Obed, who is the father of Jesse. Jesse had eight sons, and his youngest son was David. This is the David who fought against and slew Goliath. This is David who became king of Israel, the greatest king of Israel, the, the man that Scripture says is a man after God's own heart. That Ruth's son, Obed, would grow up and, and like his father, would care for his grandmother, Naomi. And all the heartache, all the trouble, all the pain that Naomi went through in her life had been redeemed. Now, now it didn't take away, like, her husband still died. She still lost her sons. Like, she didn't get all that back. But she had been redeemed. Things had gotten way better for her. Now, now Naomi, who with Elimelech ran away from, from, from God's plan, fled to, to enemy territory, and she ends up becoming the great-great-grandmother to the king, the greatest king in Israel. And not only that, 27 generations later, another baby boy was born in Bethlehem, whose name was Jesus. Jesus was a direct descendant of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi. And so I, I, I want you to catch this, that no matter how far you've run or no matter what you've done, God still has a destiny for you. Naomi, like a woman who felt like God had afflicted her, that God had abandoned her, felt like God had, had brought misfortune on her life, who blamed God for all of the awful things that she had to go through. She had some crisis of faith. And God chose her to be in the family line of Jesus. God chose her to be the great-grandmother excuse me, great-great-grandmother of King David. And think about this, her being in the lineage of Jesus. Jesus would come to redeem and restore everything that had been lost. Like in the same way that, that we talked last week, that God chose Mary Magdalene. He could have chosen anybody in all of history to be the first person to see the resurrected Jesus, the first person to be able to go and say, Jesus is alive. He, he could have chosen anybody, and he chose Mary Magdalene. And in the same way, God could have chosen anybody to be 
in the lineage of Jesus, in the, in the, in the family line of his son. And he chooses Naomi. He chooses a woman who ran from God. He chose a woman who blamed God, who had a crisis of faith, who doubted. And God used her in the most beautiful story that's ever been told, uh, the story of, of how God's own son was going to come into the world and redeem and restore and make all things right once again. Like, I, I want to close with one final thought about this. The story of Naomi and Elimelech and Ruth and, and Boaz really is an allegory. It's, it's a foreshadowing of what's to come with Jesus one day. You see, Naomi and Elimelech, they walked away from God's land, walked away from God's plan, his protection. They, they pursued their own dreams and their own thoughts. Oh, things are going to be better if I go my way over to Moab. And they left and went their own direction, and then tragedy struck, and things didn't go as they had planned. And Naomi, who was a Jew, and Ruth, who was, who was a Gentile, found themselves wanting to come home again, wanting things to be made right, but they couldn't do it on their own. They couldn't make it happen on their own. They didn't have the means by which to redeem and make things right on their own. They needed somebody to step in. They needed somebody to come and redeem them, to make things right, to fix what they could not fix on their own. And Boaz did that for them. And our path is the same. Our path is the same. Each of us have walked away from God at one time or another. Each of us have, have pursued our own plan and our own thoughts and our own ideas. And then things didn't go as as we planned. We, they didn't go as we thought they would. And no matter how much we would have wanted things to be made right again, we realized there's nothing I can do about my own sin problem. There's nothing I can do to fix this issue that I have. We all needed somebody to come and restore and to redeem us. And that's what Jesus has done. He made things right once and for all. And, and in the same way that Naomi's story didn't end there, That she was in the family line of King David. She was in the family line of Jesus. God has a plan for every single one of us in this room today, too. That you are a part of the story that he's still writing today. We might not be in the family line of the Son of God, but God has a story that he's writing, and you're a part of that. Every single one of us are, regardless of, of what our past is, regardless of what our struggles are, regardless of the times we've doubted, the times we've blamed God. We've cursed God. Regardless of the things that have happened to us, the things when we felt completely devastated, when, when everything had been stripped away and taken away, God said, no, 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 you're not damaged goods. I still have a plan. I can still use you. I still want you to be a part of the story that I'm writing. God not only can, but he will use you in that story. And we might not see what that, the ultimate end looked like. Naomi did not get to see, live to see her great-great-grandson be the king of Israel. Naomi didn't get to see 27 generations later that Jesus came out of, out of her family tree. So we might not always see what God is doing, but we can know and trust that regardless of where we are, regardless of what has happened in our lives, we are a part of God's story. And he's doing things, he, he's orchestrating things, he is working things out that we might not see yet. But we trust him. 
Say, God, I, I, don't, know, I don't know how you're going to fix all of this mess. I don't know how you're going to redeem this. But I know that you can, and I know that you will. And I'm trusting and believing you for it. So if you would, would you stand right now? I, I want to pray for us as a church this morning as we close out our time together. And Father, we, we love you so much. And God, thank you for the story of, of Naomi. God, thank you for the, the way that you, that you used the, this beautiful woman. God, even though that she, she had had her, her struggles, even though there were times she walked away, times she doubted, times she questioned, times she, she blamed you, and God, you still had a plan for her life. You still had a, a plan to redeem and restore her, Lord, and you have that same plan for every single one of us in this room, too. God, that, that you have a destiny in store, and, and, and though Naomi couldn't see it in the moment, God, how you orchestrated and you worked those things out in her life. God, I thank you for the story that, that you're writing that we get to be a part of. God, we might not know all the details, we might not see all the details, but God, every one of us in this room, God, we're not here by accident. We're here on purpose. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's masterpiece. We're His handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that you prepared ahead of time for us to do. God, that you had plans for our lives far before we ever set foot on this planet. And God, I ask that you would help us to see, to know that we can partner with you. Lord, we're not going to go our own way. Lord, we want to partner with you in the story that you're writing in what you're doing. And see how you, how you take us, broken people as we are. And you use us to share your kingdom with a world that needs it. God, I thank you for this church. I just pray you bless my church family today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's worship together one more time.